I thought about the good song that was sung on the bright side tonight, and uh, I wish they'd sing that for the invitation, uh, because I'm, this is not a bright side sermon this evening, it's not a Christmas message. I uh, come across, I don't, I don't even really have a text. Uh, I don't even, and I don't think, I had a little one, I thought I'd do it just so I could be religious, but I don't even think I'm going to use that uh, tonight. Uh, I went to Bible college. Dr. Tom Malone was our, the president of the school and a pastor of the church. And he would get up quite often and just preach. He didn't even take a text, just preach. And uh, I loved him for it. I enjoyed going there to school and I enjoyed the preaching. He was a great, great preacher of the word of God. So I want to have a word of prayer and then I want to tell you uh, an opening illustration then I want to give you some Bible illustrations that all of you know. And then I want to give you just a four-point outline. And we'll easily be out of here by 10, 10.30 this evening. <laughs> oh, and I do have my little book table. You buy one, you get one free book. I think there's someone here today that I, I cheated. And if you come to me after, I have 12 people come. I know you're lying, but... I think I didn't give a lady a right change today, so if, unless you want to give me a little extra tip, I don't know. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. We thank you for the fellowship that we enjoy in this church, not only with her pastor, but with her people. And I pray that you bless us, help us. Help me to be a help uh, to your people tonight. And we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. David was a preacher's kid. He was the youngest son of uh, three children. He had a big brother and he had a big sister. And they were good kids. But David wasn't. There's no rhyme nor reason. It's impossible to figure out why he became a prodigal. Maybe he got hanging around with the wrong crowd or maybe he was the wrong crowd and infected others. Maybe he was looking for acceptance and couldn't find it at the church and so he noticed that the bars were open every day but the church wasn't. You know, sometimes Christians are the greatest argument for Christianity. And sometimes Christians are the greatest argument against Christianity. Three o'clock one morning. He's about 21, 22 years of age. He knocked on the door of his parents' home and they let him in. And that night, David got right with God. David got saved. His life was completely changed. A few months passed and he said to his dad, I'd like to go see my uncle out in California. And so he said, well, how are you going to get there? He said, I'm going to hitchhike. It was back in the day when it was a little bit safer to do that than perhaps today. So he started to hitchhike across the country and every night he would call his mother and dad and tell him where he was and how the day had gone. And one night he didn't call. And the next night he didn't call. The third night passed and he didn't call. And the fourth day, the sheriff pulled up in the driveway of the preacher's house. 
and he was out in the yard doing something. He walked over to the officer and said, could I help you? He said, uh, do you have a son named David? He said, I do. He said, we found him. We got a message today from the state police in Missouri. Your son was found in a ditch with his head bashed in. He laid there for four days in the hot Missouri sun. He said the worst thing about it is I had to go inside and tell his mother, the woman that had birthed him into this world. He said, I told her. She didn't say a word. She just walked out of the house and went out to the barn. And he said, I heard a cry. I heard a scream like I'd never heard in my life. You know, from our perspective, uh, from our maybe idea about common sense and human reasoning and out, we, we have this outcome-based philosophy today, it's hard to understand some things. If I had a title for this message, I'd say, I just don't understand. I preached two or three sermons about this story. I might have preached one of them here. I don't know. Matthew chapter 20, that story about those, that guy that came out to hire some workers and a bunch of them applied for the job and they got it and they started in, in the first thing in the morning. And I guess the guy couldn't figure out how am I going to get all this crop in? I need some more help. And so he went to the place and Third hour of the day, he got some guys, and the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, and he even got some guys the eleventh hour of the day. They only had to work an hour. He got down to the end of that thing, and so he said, well, come on, fellas, we'll pay you off, and those guys that worked one hour, they got a penny. And the guys that worked three hours got a penny, and six hours and got a penny. And those guys that had Born the heat of the day, they figured out, my goodness, we're going to get two pennies. But they also got a penny. They didn't have union stewards back in those days. They didn't have equal opportunity employers back in those days. And they kind of complained about it. They weren't too happy about it. The interesting thing, if you read that story closely, those are the only guys that agreed to work for a penny. The rest of them, he just told them, whatever is right. Whatever is right. You remember in 2 Samuel chapter 6, the Ark of the Covenant had been up to Shiloh for a long, long time, and, and uh, David wanted to bring it back to Jerusalem. And there was a pres prescribed way to do it, but I don't know why they didn't do it right. They, they were supposed to, you know, have staves and Guys were to carry it on their shoulders, but they, they didn't quite do it exactly the way they were supposed to do it. And they were bringing it back, and the cart that it was on jostled, and there was a good man, uh, really, I think, with noble intentions by the name of Uzzah. And he reached out and, to steady the ark, and the moment he did it, he dropped dead in his tracks. You know, it even bothered David a little bit. The Bible says this in verse 8 of that chapter, that David 
was displeased. David was displeased how God had handled that thing. A little bit later, David brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem and he's shouting, carrying on, praising God, having a great time. And his wife looks out the window of their house and her name's Mikhail and she doesn't like it. She thinks he's, I don't know what she thought. She, she must have been an old battle axe, I think. And the Bible said that she despised him in her heart. And she was given to another man. She lived a very checkered life. Remember Ezekiel, you remember the text well, I think, in the 24th chapter. The Bible said that his wife died. And the next morning, he did what he was supposed to do. He just kept on serving God. I remember very vividly the day my mother died, March the 5th, 1975. I was in the hospital room with her. My dad had called me, I don't know, eight or nine o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, and said, Tim, if you ever expect to see your mom, you need to get up here now. I jumped in my little 1970 Dodge Swinger and headed to the hospital. And there was a woman that I'd loved all my life. There was a woman that had loved me all my life up until that time. I think she still loves me tonight. Maybe even more so than she ever did. And I watched her die. I watched her leave this world. It was a sad situation. I got a dear friend. I saw him last Sunday in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Keith Gomez pastored large, large church in the Chicago area. Several thousand in a day. And it's heyday. It's not... It's about 1,000 now, maybe 1,200 now, but it was bigger several years ago, and he's basically retired. But I remember when his first wife died, Carla. I love Carla. I love his wife now. Her name's Kimmy. My wife loves him. We, we just love, I love preachers' wives. I, I know a little bit about what pastors' wives go through. I watched my mom go through it until she died. But I remember when Carla died, I called the house. She was home. And I talked to her on the phone for a few minutes through the moans and the groans of the pain. And within just a brief time, uh, she had made her trip to glory. You know, I wonder why a lot of times, you know, I've heard preachers say you should never ask why. I think that's a dumb thing to say. Because Jesus asked why on the cross. And if Jesus could ask why, I think I can ask why. You know, you could contrast the churches in the book of the Revelation. The church of Smyrna had tribulation and poverty and they were blasphemed against. They suffered. They were imprisoned. They were tried. They had tribulations. They, they had difficulties. It was a good church. Contrast that with the church of Laodicea. 
It was lukewarm. They were rich. They were increased with goods. They felt like they had need of nothing. You know, sometimes it is the unseen and the spiritual in people that determines the outward and the actual response. In essence, that church of Laodicea was wretched and poor and miserable and blind and naked. In Acts chapter 12, Herod gets a hold of James and kills him. James, the brother of John. James was the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. He killed him. That same chapter, James was a fine man. You don't read anything in the Bible that he ever did that was dumb, except for when him and his brother decided to have their mother go ask if one could be on the right hand and the other the left in the kingdom. They must have been mama's boys, those two fellas. But then Peter in that same chapter, he's a cusser, he's a denier, he's forward, he's self-willed. And just a few, you know, in the book of John, he's fishing in the boat naked. What kind of a nut is that? You ever imagine going fishing with some guy and Strips all his, I'd throw the guy overboard. Goodness gracious. But he's delivered miraculously. He's in the prison, the chains fell off, angels come, and I, I, preach, I used to preach a message, I ought to preach it again, and those iron gates, they just opened automatically. You know, there's a lot of times when we're faced with some iron gates that seem to be closed, and the Lord opens them just majestically for helps us to get through life. I want to talk to you tonight. Those are just some illustrative thoughts to hopefully capture your attention. What to do when you don't understand. What to do when you honestly disagree with how God handles a situation. I know some of you are so wonderful, you've never gotten to that place in your life. You've never disagreed with God. You've never had an argument with the Lord. You've never said why. I don't understand. There's four quick things and I'll be done. Get this through our heads. That God is right and we are wrong. The God of heaven will do right Every single time. Learn how to accept what you can't change as God's will for you. What God wants for you. Oswald Chambers said this, as the millstones grind, God is making bread. He would never allow suffering if he had not some purpose. Ill-tempered people, hard circumstances, poverty, willful misunderstandings and estrangements are all millstones. Had Jesus any of those in his own life? <laughs> he had a devil in his company for three and a half years. He lived at home with brothers and sisters that didn't even believe in him. John chapter 7 and verse 5. 
He was continuously thwarted and misunderstood by the Pharisees and Sadducees. And he said this, the disciple is not above his master. If you have self-pity, God does not dare put you near millstones. When these experiences come, remember that God has his eyes on every detail of your life. Sometimes there's an obvious reason why. And there are other times when God is the only one that knows. But his goal is to make good bread to feed his people and himself. Never try to be someone else. Let God make you what he wants you to be. He knows your circumstances and he will alter them when he chooses. Be careful, he said, for what you ask for. When you disagree with God, always remember that God is right and you are wrong. Number two, remember, I don't know what God knows. I don't know and you don't know what God knows about any circumstance in life that we face. Isaiah 55 and 8, God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. I am thankful that God has a much bigger, more panoramic view of our lives. And he knows what he wants and he knows what's best for every single one of us in this room. And he cares. And like I've heard two or three other times tonight, he loves us. Sometimes it's tough love, don't you think? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17 and 18 talks about, Paul talks about a lot of negative things. And the Bible uses the term, they're light afflictions. Light afflictions. Why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to put up with this? Why do I have to face this? Man's inconsistencies prove God's consistency. Don't run from your problems. I think God is more interested in developing us through the millstones of life than he is delivering us from the problems we face. We often don't like it, but it's the best thing for us. I remember, and I wouldn't rehash the story tonight to waste your time, but I remember a 14-year-old boy with a stroke and 17 months on the hospital in therapy with that kid. He's now a missionary on the mission field and this church supports him. And thank God for it. I wouldn't want to go through that again. I wouldn't want to face that again, I don't think. Jim Elliott, he said this. He was a great missionary. You know, he's killed by the Aka Indians. He really probably didn't do a lot of world valuable eternal work but he wrote some things down and uh, they've come to us. He said, so many missionaries are intent on doing something. They forget that his main work is to make something of them. Don't ever look at a missionary letter and say, that guy's not winning as many souls as this guy over here. 
God may be working in that missionary's life to do what God wants to do with him. And it's our part to help him, help God keep him on the field with our monies. I want you to think about this for this a moment, for a moment. Walk by faith. When you don't understand, when you disagree and you can't figure it out, walk by faith. Following him by faith. We used to sing that song. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. What's the rest of it? All I have to do is follow. I don't have to know where we're going. I don't have the map. I don't have the, uh, they don't use maps anymore. I know some of you don't even know what a map is. I don't have a to have the Google to tell me how to get there. Just follow him. He knows the way. You say, well, I don't like the, I don't like the path he's chosen for me. Just keep on keeping on. Paul said it this way. I have learned to be content. It, didn't come, it doesn't come natural. Naturally, I don't think to us human beings, we have to learn it. My last little thought, continue doing, listen, when you don't understand, when you can't figure it out, and even you're disagreeable about what God's doing, continue doing what you ought to do. Just do right. Failure is being successful in anything but God's will for your life. Failure is being successful at anything but God's will for your life. I got a preacher friend. Uh, his name's Don Sable. We won't, I've only preached with him one time in my life. We preached a meeting in uh, a tiny little church. That church, was, that church was not as big as this, this little part of the platform, not up in the choir. And uh, wonderful fellows down in New Orleans. We preached together and I've never seen him. I haven't even laid eyes on him, but we communicate, we text, we call, talk on the phone. They had one girl, one daughter. She was born with spina bifida. She never took one step in her life. She was bound with that tragic disease. I, would, I used to call Don... She was kind of his answering service. And she could answer the phone. And I'd talk to her on the telephone a little bit, kibitz with her. I never met her. She had a great personality. She died at 35 years of age. Went to be with the Lord. I remember calling Don, I don't know, oh, a couple of weeks, maybe a month or more. Wasn't long after she'd gone to heaven. And I talked to him, I said, I said, how are you doing? You know, sometimes, you know, when someone dies and you uh, try to commiserate with them or, you know, say something kind to them, you, maybe you say some dumb things. You know, it's better just to say nothing than to say something stupid. You know, well, they're in a better place. Well, they're better off than I am. You know, that's, a, that's really it. That's not a very comforting thing. He's, 
When we say stuff like that, we sound like Job's friends. <laughs> Dumb. I said, how you doing, Don? He said, oh, Tim, he said, me and my wife, we're just sitting here at the breakfast table imagining what it's going to be like to go to heaven and see our daughter for the first time. That beautiful blonde-haired girl walk down the street of gold and meet us as we come off the old ship of glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He told me that girl lived 35 years. He said his wife was away from her only eight days. Said she went on a trip. I think he went somewhere down in Latin America. He went down to preach. His wife went with him for those eight days. He said it was the most miserable eight days of our marriage. Mama wanted to be with that handicapped precious girl. I don't understand all that kind of stuff like that. Sometimes I get just like everyone. Why in the world does this have to happen to them? Or even, why does this have to happen to me? Lord, I don't really think you are, you have my best interest in heart. Going through this. Oh, it's the tragedy and the setbacks and the lack of results and all the things that we go through in life. I was preaching, I won't even call the state. It was over the 4th of July weekend. And a young man, he was a preacher, had a little church in the southern state. Um, west of here, a state or two or three. And he worked nights uh, at, as an EMT and he really, really wasn't that. He just drove the ambulance. So he came home, and when he came home, he found his wife shot and killed. And the baby that was in her womb, of course, was dead. He called 911. The authorities came. It looked like a break-in. Somebody had broke into the preacher's house and killed his wife. Oh, that Sunday morning, the church was in an uproar and their pastor's wife had been killed and the baby, of course, had died. And oh, it was shock and grief and pain and outrage. And that evening, before church, they arrested the husband. He had killed his wife and his child that was in her womb. I don't understand stuff like that. It's hard to fathom. I want to say to you tonight, just keep on serving God. Whether you understand what he's up to, just let him be what he's up to in your life. He has our best intentions. Or his best intentions are for our best would be a better way to say that. We need to live our lives bathed in prayer and trusting God and believing in him. 
There's a lot of things. You know, I've been preaching a long time. 51 years. And I know a lot of things about a lot of people. A lot of things from my perspective. Why in the world, God, would you do that? I've got a dear preacher friend. His wife died. <laughs> he called me on the phone. He said, Tim, I really want to get another wife. The guy was 74, 75 years old. I'm thinking, what in the world do you need another wife for? Oh, I need to get a wife. I want to get a wife. He got one. She stayed with him four years and then broke his heart. Walked out the door. You know, I don't know. The first time he met her, met her he went to her church with a $5,000 diamond ring and a dozen roses. He'd never even seen her. Sight unseen. I was taking quite a risk. I'd like to, you know, I like to look over the hamburger before I buy it. <laughs> but she's left him now. And he's about 80. And he's heartbroken. And preachers, his friends, his good friends, and I'm his friend, but I don't have a church. They want him to come and preach, and he won't preach. I don't think that was, a, I don't know what God was trying to show him. I don't know what God was trying to do his life I'm sure he disagrees with how it all turned out it's been a tragedy I talked to him last week for I don't like calling him because it's an hour hour and a half and you got to listen and I love him I love him I hate to give you a lot of chambers, but I'm going to quit. He said this also. He said, we are at liberty to stop short at any point, and our Lord will never cast it up to us. But think what we shall feel like when we see him. If all the thank you that we gave him for his unspeakable salvation was an obstinate determination to serve him in our own way with our own agenda and not his. Well, I'm not going to do this, Lord, and I'm not going to, and you allowed this to happen, and boy, really hurry, and I, I'm thankful tonight. We say it, but I wonder if we really mean it in the depths, the depths that could go. I belong to him. And he can do with me whatever he wants to do with me. I'm his. Chambers said this, and I'll quit. Just a sentence. One can tell if he's right with God if the attitude of his heart required Calvary. 
for him to have it. Do you think it was worth Calvary for us to be critical? Do you think it was worth Calvary for us to be gossips? Do you think it was worth Calvary for us to complain? Gripe about our circumstances? Was it worth Calvary for us to do some of the overt things that sometimes genuine born-again people do? The sins that they commit? Calvary ought to cause us to live a life that's consistent with the book of God.